Before we look at John chapter 20, um, I want to emphasize to you the importance of the resurrection. We've come to John chapter 20, the crucifixion has taken place, his burial has occurred, and now we come to that that place of, of his resurrection, looking into the tomb, the empty tomb. For us as believers, this doctrine, this particular subject matters more than anything. You hear Paul as he's speaking in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 where he says in verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and and we're found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now let's just switch these verses around. But what if he is risen? What if he is risen? Well, if he is risen, then our preaching is not empty. It's just not. If he's risen from the grave, then what takes place here when we proclaim the gospel is not empty. If he has risen, then your faith is also not empty. It is full. If Christ is risen, then we are not false witnesses of God. If he's risen, then the dead do rise as well. If he's risen, our faith isn't futile. And if he's risen, then you are not still dead in your sins. It matters to us so much. If he's risen and your faith is in him, you are not dead in your sins. If he's risen, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. These 11 years, we've seen people go home to be with the Lord, haven't we? Many of them, you just, they're, they're very clear in your minds right now. They did not perish. They are not dead in their sins. If he's risen, then we're not those that are to be pitied. Rather, This is the best news that any one of us could ever hear as far as Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on the third day. The greatest news that any one of us could ever hear if he is, in fact, risen. In John chapter 20, in verse 1, it says, Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She gets there early. It's still dark. Now, we don't know a lot of what took place between Friday and Sunday morning. But we can imagine a lot of things, right? I mean, if, if you're Lord, if, if you're... If you're 
best friend, the one that you had placed your hope in, if he had been crucified, those three days would have been days filled with tears and tears and tears. I mean, just an emptiness that's there of everything that we thought has been changed. It's different. I mean, just missing him, but not only missing him, but just imagining the crucifixion, imagining the betrayal, imagining all that had occurred and hearing in the streets all that is being said, and you're the ones that have followed him for all these years, and you want to go anoint his body, you want to go do this, but now there's this gigantic two-ton stone that's been placed in front of the tomb. Not only that, but you... You couldn't purchase the spices that you needed because it was the Passover and you couldn't do that on the Sabbath and now you've come and it's, it's, finally, it's finally Sunday and she is going to go and she, along with other women that are going to be following behind her, they are going and they are going to anoint the body of Jesus but they don't know how they're going to roll the stone away. But she's going, she loves him. Mary Magdalene loves him. And she comes up upon the tomb early. It's still dark. And she looks and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. She doesn't go any further. We'll find in some of the other gospel accounts that the other women went further. But she doesn't. She just turns around and she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, just stop me there. I love this. I, she, she turns around and leaves. She runs, and she goes to find Peter and the other disciple who always refers to himself as the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's the author of this gospel, John. John just, when, when he thinks of himself, he thinks of, I'm the disciple, and Jesus loved me. He loved me. I mean, he knows that he loves everybody, but when he thinks of himself, it's how do I identify myself? You, you, you can think of yourself and think of like, well, what's my identity? What do I, you know, how's my self-esteem? How do I think of myself? Whatever else. And you may just think like, my life's terrible because I have a low self-esteem or my life's terrible because of this, that or the other. John just looks at himself and he doesn't care anything else. All, all he all he identifies himself as, I'm the one that Jesus loved. He loved me. He loved me. Every person in this room can identify themselves in the same way. I'm the one. Jesus, he, he loves me. He loves me. And so we find her run and get, remember, it's early in the morning. It's very early in the morning. I, I find it interesting because I, I think of the Apostle John, um, loved by Christ, but also just apostle, uh, an apostle of love. What is he doing? He's with Peter. Now you've got to think of Peter. Peter, the last thing that we remember from Peter is he denied Christ three times. Jesus looked upon him and the rooster crowed. So what has life been like for Peter from Friday to, to Sunday morning? <laughs> you got to just figure, Peter's just, it's been filled with just heartache. 
Conviction. Being in a place of, I said that, that I would die with him. That I would never deny him. And yet, just as he said, I denied him three times, then he looked at me. He saw me. There was eye contact that took place when I yelled and, and swore that I did not know him and denied him. And Peter's just been filled with anguish over these days. I mean, bitter, bitter tears, thinking the last thing that Jesus heard and thought of with reference to me was my betrayal, was my denying him. But what's John doing? He's just there ministering to him. He's with him. I I could just imagine John there and just being like, hey, Peter, this is what the last things that Jesus said were. I mean, he said to the thief that was on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And, And he said, it is finished. He said, into thy hands I commend myself. Here's the things that Jesus said. He said things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so John was there. John was seeing these things. And so he would have been saying, these are some of the things that Jesus said in his, in his final moments there on the cross. But he would be there ministering unto John. He didn't, or in, unto Peter. He wasn't someone who said like, man, I'm done with you. You fell like in the worst way and I want nothing to do with you. Not at all. I mean, for us as Christians, when there's those that fall, may we be like John and go and just quickly go to minister to them and to care for them and to show grace because we've been shown so much grace. Amen? And so you see John there with Peter. And he's ministering to him. He's with him. So she comes back and she runs and we're told that she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she runs from the tomb, seeing that the stone has been removed. Notice they've taken away who? The Lord. She still refers to him as the Lord. It maybe wasn't what she expected. She's not hoping for a resurrection because the bottom line is she's going there to anoint his body, right? She's not assuming that he's risen again from the dead. She's going to anoint his body. But she says they've taken away the Lord. And we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they're going to the tomb, so they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Well, maybe Peter, <laughs> here as we look at this, he started out doing well and came to a place where John is outrunning him. John did identify himself with Christ, the one that Jesus loved, but he also maybe has a little bit of a self-esteem to make it so that he's saying, I also I destroyed Peter in the run to the tomb. <laughs> Peter starts out running, and it's funny because they, they start out together. And at some point, he, he petered out. Um, but you look at, and, and you, 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 sorry. I have this great story that I need to share for you, um, just with you. You guys know my sister, Melissa. Is she in here? Good, I could talk about her. Um, <laughs> when she was in high school, she, now, Melissa was just a phenomenal athlete. I mean, I, 
she looks like this, this tiny little thing, but most valuable player for Western United States in soccer for the Western Regionals. I mean, she was, I don't know, like eight state championships, Western Regional Championships, National Championships. She was just a phenomenal soccer player. And, and she could just run. I mean, like, she, her legs were so strong, you wouldn't know it today, but, like, people would make fun of her because her legs were so strong. No, I, I don't mean that in a mean way, but it was like they were like, it was like the Incredible Hulk as far as her legs were concerned. And so she joined track as a freshman, and she decides to do the, the I think it was the 400. So she's running one lap, and she takes off. I mean, it's her first race ever. Just takes off, and she's destroying everything. Everybody. I mean, it was ridiculous. We're watching, and it's, you know, like it was, it was like, like probably a good 40 yards between her and the next person. So it's just like, you know, sign her up for the Olympics. This girl is amazing, and she just takes off full sprint. She got like three quarters of the way through and is still like 40 yards ahead of everybody. And she hit a wall that made it so that it was just like, no, you know. And her legs just stopped, and it was, it was amazing to watch. Our whole family was up there watching this, and you would think like, oh, no. No, we're like in stitches laughing at this. Like, we're just curled up just laughing because she can even barely move. She keeps running, but she comes in last probably a good 35 yards behind anybody. They all caught her and just passed her right up. She was the last one, and the coach was just like, you cannot start a race like that. That might have been Peter. Peter maybe started out well. He's cranking there with John. But John, John just, he beats him. Not only does he beat him, but he, like, beats him. He makes a point, like, I got there first. So he gets there first. And he's stooping down and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. In that particular time, what you would find is they wouldn't embalm people like they did in, in, in Egypt. They would take a person and they would wrap them with these cloths. They would anoint them. They would use myrrh and some different things that they would take them and put what we know of, of, of what was given was probably somewhere around nearly 100 pounds of spices that were given. And so somewhere between 75 and 100 pounds of spices that were given and it would have been placed all around Christ, and, and he's wrapped with these cloths going all over him, done in such a way that, that there were no tears in it. It was just taken through, and there's these cloths that had to be perfect, and they would cover his body with this. And then they would leave the, the, the upper shoulders and the face and the head separate from the wrappings that would take place and then on that would be given a separate handkerchief that would go over that particular region that would cover his body Um, and so they're lying there 
John comes and he looks in, stoops down, looks in. But Peter comes and goes right past him in, and he sees these claws lying there. The handkerchief that's there, that had been there around his head, folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, he makes a point again, went in also. And what happened? He went in also, and John says, at that point, I saw and I believed. It was at that point. When John's writing this, there is an older man writing this particular gospel. He's recounting what took place. I ran. I beat Peter. I got there. I stooped down. I looked in. This is what I saw. And Peter came. He went straight into the tomb. Then I went with him, and I saw what was there, and I believed. I believed. What had taken place, what he saw was something that was so magnificent, not only magnificent, but so impossible that it couldn't have been that someone stole the body. It wasn't, if you're going to steal a body that is, has been dead for three days, you're not going to unwrap it. It just doesn't make sense. You would never unwrap it with all those spices and everything that's around it. Not only that, but if, if Jesus survived the crucifixion, which he did not, if he survived the spear being thrust through his side and water and blood coming forth, which he did not, but for some reason, like he looked like he was asleep, but he wasn't, you know, or he looked like he was dead, but he was really asleep, and they came in and they, you know, put him in the tomb and he escaped from there. You're not going to have all of these cloths lying there like they were all together, like a a cocoon that has been emptied. He came in and he saw this, and when he saw it, it was enough for him to say, and I believed then. What I saw was enough. I believed then. He knew. John goes on to say, for as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. At that point, they didn't understand all of the scripture that had been given, that he must rise again from the dead. But he said, nevertheless, I believed then. There was still so much to be taught him as far as the resurrection, but when he saw what he saw, John said, that is when I believed. There was prophecy that was given of the resurrection. In Psalm 16 and verse 10, it says, For the Messiah is speaking, For you will not leave, me, leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Or we find other things that are looking forward to the resurrection, where Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Or we see in, in in the Passover where there was a sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb and then three days go by and God's people are delivered through the Red Sea. There's all kinds of pictures that we see in Scripture of the resurrection that's to occur. But Jesus specifically spoke about this. 
In Matthew 16, 21, it, Jesus, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus had said it. Matthew records that. Mark records it. Mark says in chapter 8, 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and, three days, and in three days rise again. Luke tells us the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. John tells us in chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It has taken 46 years for, to, to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But John says, But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them specifically talking about he said that he would die. He said that he would rise again on the third day. And they remembered. I think of... John's statement here. In him saying, I saw and I believed. John went from there to later to see Jesus, but he went from there to proclaim the gospel everywhere that he possibly could. He was exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith in Christ. And he later died in what would be modern Turkey in Ephesus. He, he went about proclaiming the gospel wherever he went. He saw and he believed. For us here this morning... Do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? We can look at the testimony of John and say, he, just based on coming into the tomb and seeing what he saw, he saw and he believed. The evidence doesn't stop there, though. You think of the soldiers that were in front of the, the tomb, guarding the tomb. The soldiers were there 24 hours a day. They'd already confirmed that Christ was in the tomb, and they placed a seal over the tomb to verify that he was in the tomb. But we're told in another account that an angel appeared, having rolled back the stone, and the guards fell down like dead men, passed out at the brilliance of what they were seeing. The guards go, and they, Matthew 28 tells us that they go, and they came to the city. They reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And the elders consulted together and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And then Matthew tells us, this saying is commonly reported among the Jews even to this day. Even to the day, everybody knew 
the soldiers got a huge amount of money to say that they fell asleep. Why would that happen? Because if you were a guard and you fell asleep while on duty, what happened to you? They would take off your clothes. That's bad enough, right? They would take off your clothes, put them under you, use that as the kindling to burn you alive. I mean, talk about staying awake. I mean, if we instituted that in here, you guys would, everybody would stay awake throughout a sermon. I mean, honestly, like, some of you need it. No, you, you, you. But you think about it, like, you're, you're going to be burned alive if, you're, if you fall asleep while on duty. And you have a whole garrison of, of guards that are there. You think if one guy fell asleep, it'd be like, dude, what do you think? You know, like, you, they're not all falling asleep. The way it would have been is there would have been four guards, more than likely, that were on duty. Typically, they would put 16 people in these groups. Some of them would sleep, and the others would stay awake, and they would go in rotations 24 hours a day. The ones that would sleep would sleep in a half circle around the, the, the tomb in which they were guarding. But this would take place, and you would not fall asleep. You would not fall asleep. They're saying, we will protect you. We'll give you a huge amount of money, but this is what you have to say. And so they did. And Matthew says, everybody knew that. I mean, it's ridiculous of an excuse enough to say, like, we fell asleep. No one would believe that. Yeah, you, you're willing to be burned alive. They wouldn't have fallen asleep. But that's what they said. You think of who it is that Jesus appeared to. We find him first appearing to the women, which if you're going to make up a story, you're not going to start out by he first appeared to the women because the women weren't allowed to testify back then. So why would you start out by, well, first he came to the women? You just wouldn't start your story like that if you're making it up. And yet, who did he appear first to? The women. You think of others that he appeared to. Jesus' brothers. John 7 tells us even his brothers did not believe in him. So John had told us earlier, his brothers did not believe in him. But something occurred after the crucifixion. His brothers are there in the upper room, Acts 1. 13 tells us. They're there, and verse 14 says, They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. His brothers are there now. He has risen again from the dead. Christ has appeared to them, and they believe. You think of his brother James. How does his brother James talk about him? Um, we see him referring himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, talking about those that he appeared to. Um, he says he appeared before James and then all the apostles. Specifically, James. But he believed and he followed him. In that same passage, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that, that 
Christ died for, the sin, for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So here Paul's writing this and he says, he appeared before the disciples, but he appeared before 500 people at one time. And then specifically makes note of, and most of them are still alive, if you want to talk to them. I mean, can you imagine that court hearing inside that courtroom? Person after person after person after person coming through those doors, witnessing. He said if, if Josh McDowell said, if, if, if you had these witnesses and each witness just spoke for, for six minutes, you would have over 50 hours of testimony of these guys saying, this is what we saw. This is what we saw. We saw him. We saw him. There's no doubt that we saw him. He appeared before Saul, who later became Paul. I mean, this is someone who, who hated him. Saul says that he was breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord. That, that he was, he says in Philippians 3, 6, concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. I would travel to different cities, to different areas, and I would take them, and I asked for them to be able to be placed in fetters so I could bring them back to be executed. This is what Saul was doing. And Saul's there, and, and, and he's on his journey to Damascus, and there's a light that shines around him, and he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So what is this most unlikely person to say that I saw the resurrection do? He goes from his place of prominence to going to a place of being stoned and being beaten and being left out at sea and being thrown into prison and all these other things. Why? Because Saul saw Jesus risen and he believed. He left everything, being a Pharisee, all of these things, and suffered the reproaches of Christ because he knew without a doubt that Christ had risen just as he said. And then you just think of the radically changed lives. These disciples were just cowards. I mean, cowards. They all left him there on, at Gethsemane. Peter had just denied him three times. They're in the upper room and the door is locked. These guys are cowards. So what changed for them? Because they were no longer cowards after that. They died for their faith. Peter crucified upside down after being imprisoned by Herod for preaching the gospel. Think of Andrew taking the gospel to Greece and to Asia Minor and to Russia and then being crucified on a cross-shaped, an X-shaped cross. Philip going to Ukraine and then crucified on a tall cross in Turkey. Bartholomew went to Asia Minor and then India. And then the Armenian church was, claims that he was their founder. He was flayed alive there in Armenia. 
Matthew went to Persia, Macedonia, Syria, Parthia, Media, Ethiopia, died a martyr. Thomas went to India, put to death by a spear, buried in India. James, the son of Alphaeus, we're told that he was thrown off the temple and beaten to death with a club. Thaddeus got on a ship and went wherever that ship took him preaching the gospel. Simon took the gospel to Persia. These guys became brave, radically changed lives. Why? What changed for them? They saw the resurrected Christ. They knew that that temple was empty. They knew that he had risen again from the dead, just as, they, as he had said. They knew. What more evidence could we want? I mean, this, the evidence that's before us is, is such that if, if somebody had stolen the body, if these disciples made up this lie, you might lie for a lot of things, but you're, you're not going to lie when they're about ready to flay you open or crucify you upside down or your wife. There's going to come a point where you're going to say, okay, okay, I'm just kidding. I'll tell you the whole story. One of them would break, wouldn't you think? 500 people at one time seeing him, all of these women who saw him, following him, his brothers saw him, followed him, were in the upper room. Verse 10 of John chapter 20 says, Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. We don't know exactly what that means, but they went to their homes. They, went, they left that place and went to their homes. I don't think they went there for breakfast. I would think that John would have thought, I need to go tell Mary, the mother of Jesus, who he entrusted me with, who is at my house, what I just saw. He is risen. He is risen. He is not there. Wouldn't you think he'd be going right to tell the mother of Jesus, who's in his home from that day forward, what he had saw. There was a tomb, and Jesus was not in it. It was not empty. All of the cloths that were there were such that John saw it and he believed. May we just have such great confidence in the gospel this morning. Christ died for your sins. He was buried in that tomb, and he rose again three days later. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. May the truth of that give us such boldness that we would proclaim the gospel here and even to the uttermost parts of this world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and the clarity that is there of what you've accomplished, God. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would do just that. Give us great boldness to proclaim the gospel. Not only that, but, but cultivate in our hearts just such strength of faith that we adore you and we trust you and we hope in you. And, and we know that there's no other name by which anybody 
can be saved short of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We're thankful. We're thankful that our preaching is not in vain. It's not empty. We are not still dead in our sins. We will not perish. For you have risen just as you said. May we respond now with praise and just adoration of you as we partake in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.